only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Sexuality, a podcast that examines queer content in media. Um, I'm your host, Lisa, and today I'm joined by Lowry. How you doing, Lowry? Good, good, yeah. Fun, fun times. Great to talk about apology. <laughs> yeah. Would you like to introduce yourself? Tell us a bit about who you are and what you do. And... Um, I'm a student right now, trying my best to get through the end of semester. Yeah. Um, I'm studying uh, international relations, German and French. Um, a lot of history thrown into there because um, that's always fun. And um, I have a very strong personal hobby of like big personal hobby of writing and um, finding sources to develop the writing, such as mm. anthology is one of my favorite places to go. Yeah, to absolutely. There's some just great parts of it that like yeah. the characters in it. You can take this. You can take the sort of really really unknown characters that was kind of mentioned once or twice mm. and kind of go. But what about them? And make a massive story. And Absolutely. No one's getting no an angry like for it. It's not, it's not like yeah. you, can, you can fanfic off of mythology <laughs> all you like, and no one's going to get angry. So exactly. it's not a canon kind of thing. Yeah. It's, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So what are we talking about today? Um, mostly the just the queer parts of mythology. The, those characters who are, in some cases, explicitly queer. Those characters who have due to the historiography and. I like to use the term mythography. I'm not sure if it's actually been ever coined before, but okay. it's, I, I use it to describe the similar to how historiography is how history was recorded. Mythography I use to describe how the mythology was recorded and who recorded it and what their motives were in doing that. Mm. Um, well, you heard it here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's like how Snorri Sturluson, the guy, the person who gave us the edits, um, had a bunch of sagas in written form. He's a wonderful writer. Um, from Iceland, but he was a Christian, and for a few hundred years, Iceland had been Christian. But the saga, most of the sagas they had, and most of the stories they had, came from pre-Christian Iceland and pre-Christian um, Nordic culture. So they were taking parts of Nordic culture which were perfectly fine with queerness and stuff like that. Um, as I hope we'll talk about, because there's a lot in their religion, even how that works. Of yeah, absolutely. Wanting a lot to be of queer like, in some yeah. cases in the religion. Um, that then, because of the Christianization, became a not was kind of pushed out or pushed yeah, aside or changed to a native yeah. situation and stuff like that, um, which is you know just as interesting to look at when you're mm. researching mythology and stuff. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, what shall we start off with today? I think we were looking at... We might start off with Loki, actually, because... Oh, um, oh Loki. <laughs> yeah, Loki, one of your faves. The queer, the queer god we all need and love. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're, they're a very interesting one because, um, again, depending on who you ask, they're either male or gender-fluid or yep. straight-up just agender. Yeah. Um, and then, depending on the mythology you go from, they're either evil or 
good. In some yeah. cases, the, in, especially in the book I have here today, which is uh, Teutonic Myths and Legends by yeah. Donald A. McKenzie, highly recommend if you can find one. It's a very old book. But, um, I might take a picture of it and put it on my Instagram. Yeah, it's a very <laughs> nice one. It's um, they're not too expensive, the first editions, for some reason, which I'm surprised at, but they are rare. Um, and but he, his this book took the Eddas and the sagas and found where they syncretized with northern Germanic um, traditions and Baltic traditions of the mythology and worked out where they're all similar and what the sort of corroborated story mm. of the gods is. Yeah. Um, and in in this Loki is. Um, not Odin's blood brother as he is in the Eddas, but his actual born oh, brother, okay. one of his two brothers. Yeah. Um, so Vili and Fey, as, as it is in the Eddas, one of those is actually Loki. Mm. Um, and Loki is the good one. Loki is the one who, does, who wants to see happiness, but also wants to see people learn um, from their mistakes, which is yep. why he gives humans the ability to be evil, is mm-hmm. the thing, when they're made. But Odin wants control and power for himself and his family um and loki doesn't go evil until the gods for what he did with odin when odin convinced him to commit genocide against the giants the giants sent a giantess to loki uh, who was a powerful witch um angerberta and she turned loki evil um, <laughs> oh, okay, evil so according to some traditions, according to other traditions, nature, yeah. according to other traditions, Loki was just outright insane and evil. Yeah, um, and as the Thor franchise yes, would have us believe, yes, that kind of thing. Um, and the thing is with Loki, they always have some sort of queerness about them. Um, they change gender a lot. Um, mm-hmm. They like they are also um, just. The sexuality is really up in the air sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but the thing is, so the ones that paint him as purely evil always paint that in negative light as well, mm-hmm. like the Eddas do, which were, of yep. course, created by, written down and codified in a very Christian setting. Um, but the book I have actually has a... doesn't really go into detail about how how much he um, how much he was like evil for it but it does say um, when Thor's hammer is stolen by Thrym and Loki finds out it's Thrym the bride price of the, 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 the Thrym says he will give it as the bride price for Freya mm-hmm. and the gods of course go to Freya and she just looks at them and they basically go, you make an excellent point and never breaks it again. <laughs> and then they're trying to think of a way to get the hammer back. Yeah. He is, that the, is that the one where he dresses up? With, and, then, and then Heimdall, as a joke, just kind of throws out the idea, what if Thor dressed up as Freya? Yeah. And everyone's like, that could work. Then he makes no attempt to actually no, no act like Freya. Yeah, but like he doesn't do that. He, he like outdrinks all the giants <laughs> at the wedding. He's, he doesn't even shave. He keeps like massive red beard. It's this kind of wonderful. But Loki and the quote here is, um, and Thor, uh, the other gods spake likewise, and Thor consented to be attired as a bride. And when this was done, Loki was dressed at his own desire as a maid attendant, and together they went forth from Asgard in Thor's sublime car. So Loki thought, Loki literally went, 
I can give Thor a makeover, and I can get a makeover. I can be fabulous. Loki can shapeshift and didn't think I could shapeshift to look like Freya. Yeah. He thought, no, no, Thor's being Freya, I'm just gonna be fabulous and me. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and so, movie. yeah, and both the connotations there aren't really like he's evil for it. Yeah. It's just kind of, he's too good of his own desire. He just kind of wants to have fun. It's just a thing he's doing. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how Loki is in his queerness, is just a lot of his motivations are just he wants to have fun. Yeah. So like he is uh, pretty much just the trickster god yeah. that everyone yeah. Yeah, um, says he is. So in, he's in a... some cases, he goes too far with it. Very much so, like with the case of Boulder, where he was like, I really don't like the fact that everyone's throwing things at Boulder and that nothing can kill him, but I found out what can kill him, mistletoe. So I'll give up this mistletoe um, spear to his brother Hoda, who is blind now, and say, hey, try this one, and Hoda throws it, and then all the shouting stops, and he doesn't know that he's killed his brother, and then, and no one knows that Loki gave him the spear, and like, Loki went really far with that one. That is and so Hoda awful. Gets, Hoda gets put to death for it, and Loki doesn't tell anyone, and then, they find out the way to get Boulder back into the world, back back to life from hell is that if every single thing in the universe cries for him, he will be resurrected. And everyone does, except Loki, who shapeshifts and pretends to be someone else and doesn't cry and stops Boulder from being resurrected. And what no a one knows him. He, he is a massive prick in that situation. And then it's never brought up until it's like it never nothing it doesn't come to light until he's party, they're at a party in Asia's house, and he sets someone on fire, because he's bored, <laughs> and he can do that, he's a fire god, he, mm. um, which is something like, he's always been as like a god of illusions and stuff, yeah. but most gods have powers over illusion in Norse mythology, he's specifically a fire god, because uh, it's the thing, okay. fire is useful sometimes, but can be very dangerous if you don't respect it. Yeah, it's so... So what do we know about his sexuality or his gender? Well, got their gender there. Apart sexuality. from the time that he dressed as a bridesmaid, he also um, willingly became a mare mm -hmm. um, and seduced a male horse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember this one. <laughs> yeah. So um, sometimes it's Odin's horse that he has to mate with as a punishment, but um, that's a thing of it's a punishment to be a woman kind of thing. Mm. That's how the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the version I have here from Mackenzie is um, when the walls of Asgard are being built, um, the person, the giant comes to them and says, I can build you the walls of Asgard, um, but I require the sun, the moon, and Freya as my wife in, mm. you know, as a thing. And they're all just like, we're not going to ask Freya that, so we're not fully okay with this deal. <laughs> and then Angerboda gets Loki to convince them to do it, mm. but with the caveat that he'll only be paid if he finishes before summer ends and it's about five days before summer ends and it gets through until the last night and it becomes very plain like Loki's just slowly like oh oh no this is this is a bad idea he's doing he's really doing it he's actually building those walls in five days and like it gets to the last day and um so Loki is like they're like Loki you need to make this right because you told us we wouldn't have to pay him so what he does is he transforms into a man a beautiful man and distracts the guy's cart horse, and it runs off with him. And after that part, he didn't have to have sex with her or anything. She's just, just like, no, I can do this. While I'm Why here. Not? While I'm here, might as well. You know? It's a fine-looking horse, which is... <laughs> 
Which is a perfectly normal thing to think. Yeah, so yeah, he's got this sort of queer thing of he's, he's completely fine with, you know, having sex with men, yeah. having sex with them, doing whatever he wants, shape-shifting to be whatever he wants. And yeah. it's just this wonderfully queer character who's kind of been co-opted into this evil person because of yeah. the Christianization that occurred. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting that um, the way you talk about it is, like you say, wonderfully queer and interesting. Mm. And, and um, it's like the way we're talking about it is kind of like celebration. It's really like we're mm. joyful thinking oh, yeah. about Loki, even though um, we might in today's terms think of him transforming into a mare and having sex with the stallion as like bestiality. Yeah. But it's not necessarily mm. like, and the way that some people frame homosexuality is like, oh, it's a sin. It's perverse it's you know and they link it to other things like pedophilia and bestiality Mm. and that kind of thing um but the way we think about loki is it's like it's not a bad thing Mm. it's not like because that's just who he is and he can do these kinds of things yeah it's it's just a part of him is and i think that's the biggest sort of i guess queer motif of loki is that it's a part of who he is and he doesn't hide it Mm. whereas the other gods hide bits about themselves and stuff except for maybe freya Mm. she's the only other one who sort of has that i am like this accept it or Mm. fight me yeah (laughs) there's like um odin's always hiding the fact that he's you know actually odin and like he goes around he tricks people into getting into battles of wits with him where the price is loses head kind of thing and he ends up killing a bunch of people that way he's a bastard he is he the reason there's actually some something in Mackenzie's version is that um the reason he dies in Ragnarok so in Mackenzie's version the Norns weave fate and they can have some say over how things are gonna go yeah it's it's Um, to do with Loki and queerness um it's more to do with Odin hiding himself which Loki Loki very much doesn't so Odin goes and pretends to be a woman's fiance to steal something from her family and she falls in love with him and stuff and he gets her fiance killed because oh no he's the imposter and then he just flies off and leaves her alone and is heartbroken and the norns go the genocide was one thing but doing that to someone like seducing them like that under false proof no you are going to die in ragnarok (laughs) but loki loki's just always honest with who he is mm. like he's like i am a shapeshifter i will shapeshift um, yeah it's kind of his go-to thing of like when he needs to hide from someone he just shapeshifts even if it's not going to work the time when Odin finds out about him killing Baldur, he's like i'm going to run away now runs away he transforms into a salmon and hides in a river and <laughs> Od- odin just flies down in eagle form and is like loki i'm the god of knowledge i know it's you but it's loki's just it's his go-to thing because it's part of who he is is this sort of person of change and he has these aspects of himself that he's not going to hide. Yeah. Um, are there any incidences of him having relationships with men um, or women um, when he's not transformed? He has three confirmed wives, mm-hmm. but he's very much a secondary character in a lot of it, actually, um, if he's an, an antagonist most of the time as well, um, because it generally does focus on Odin and Thor and all of them. Um, but he, it's, it's very much implied that he has more than, more than just the three wives. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, mythology is completely up to interpretation. You can say, well, he's into male horses. Why wouldn't he be into male people? Um, and it's things like that. And there's references in other cases where, um, in different sagas. So as in the Goodmunder saga, where they say all the Enhei and Valhalla, 
who were the warriors, or the chosen warriors, the greatest fighters and men, were vying for a man's affection mm-hmm. and all wanted it. It's like, it's this thing of, if Loki is Loki, he very much in his spare time, when we're not focusing on him, probably have gone and, you know, been in relationships with men. Yeah. Um, because there are men who are apparently so wonderful, literally everyone wants to be with them. Yeah. Kind of thing. And Loki just kind of and has Loki, Loki, And Loki just doesn't care, <laughs> really. He'll do it if he wants to. So yeah, he's, a, he's very much a queer icon, more in the gender than sexuality, but still has that those elements of his sexuality, which is all over the place kind of thing. Yeah. And yeah, he's, he's kind of the epitome of a crazy, bi-gender fluid, you know, <laughs> god. <laughs> yeah, although we don't necessarily want to assume that all bi-gender oh, no, fluid no, people no. are crazy, but... No. <laughs> It's not that. The craziness is just an extra thing that makes yeah, him all the more fun. Yeah, it's amazing looking, yeah. And as I said, Freya's sort of the only other character in Norse mythology, I think, who is as queer. Freya? Um, yeah, do you want to talk she, about Freya? Yeah, well, she's definitely polyamorous, um, like, confirmed there. Um, she's a god of fertility, so... Um, and motherhood and wifehood, mm-hmm. which, because of the way, you know, um, family structures occurred in... Um, pagan Norse culture um, the, if a man had multiple wives those wives would often be in relationships with each other as well mm. and similarly Freya has, is sort of always surrounded by her favourite friends and stuff and never really unless her husband, she spends time with her husband but she only ever has one long term husband mm-hmm. um, she has sort of not sure how to put it, she, it's basically sex work is what she does um, to get most of her jewellery mm-hmm. because, um, as in the case with Brisingham and her most prized possessions, the most beautiful necklace ever made, she was walking through Nidavellia and she saw it as it was being finished by Ford, by the Ford Horse Crafty and she's like, how much do you want for it? And they're like, it's not for sale. <laughs> this, this is, we're not selling, this is an amazing thing that we've made and she says, if I marry all of you for four days and have a kid with each of you will that be enough? And they're like, well, you're Freya, so yes. <laughs> but, <laughs> of course. She's, but she's straight up open. It's not a thing if she'll marry each of them for one day, it's that she'll marry all of them for four days. And oh, all together, have yeah. this, have this yeah. polyamorous relationship yeah. with all of them for the necklace. And then there's the thing of her maids are, um, sort of, she has her favourite maids who are, heavily implies to just be her girlfriends that she has mm. all the time and everything her like that. Yeah, it's her harem, which has like only her, her husband's the only man in it as well. Yeah. Long term. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. It's just her women that she yeah. has as well. Oh, that's lovely. So yeah, she's, she's a very polyamorous and bi, and, you know, pansexual character and yeah. wonderful fertility goddess. Yeah, so it's worth pointing out that Vikings didn't regard homosexuality as something against nature. Um, although they rather believed that being passive was something affecting a warrior's strength and manhood, crucial qualities during a raid. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I just broke that. Too. Basically, basically um, if you, it's sort of like if you're not assertive in bed with another man, you're not going to be assertive on the battlefield. Oh, okay. And stuff like that. But um, on the flip side of that, being not necessarily effeminate, but 
not manly, like not fighting. Yeah, um, like manly quotes. Yeah, ma- manly is the ones we have for it after Christianization. Mm-hmm. But before then, it was the only pre-Christian um, writing we have for the word agar, which means unmanly, um, is when it's used to refer to magic mm-hmm. and magical things. So it might be that agar actually meant not fighting, but you are okay with magic. And so oh, okay. being passively homosexual made you argue. Being uh, genderqueer, not being a man, and yeah. like a, a cis-het man made you argue. And thus, as a priest, you might want to actually push towards that more because it got you closer to magic and it got you closer to Frey and Freya and um, all the gods who are themselves not necessarily fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, and in doing so, you could become powerful with your magic mm. and stuff like that. Oh, excellent. That's really cool. Which is the thing of, do you want to fight or do you want to be a priest and do the non-fighting things? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, of course, the non-fighting things were taken to be effeminate and Christian. Yeah. And so, yeah. Because the thing is, effeminate's a really weird thing for Norse people to call someone who doesn't fight, considering one of them, like Freya, the god of fem- the goddess of femininity, was a goddess of war and was a mm. better woman was a better like fighter than most gods mm. kind of thing. She is one of the she leads the best warriors. Not Odin doesn't have the best warriors, she does because she mm. gets first picks and Odin gets the leftovers kind of thing. She leads them into battle in Ragnarok. She is so calling someone effeminate is like saying, oh yeah, you're like one of the greatest fighters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, like, just like Freya. Oh, yeah. thank you. That's actually quite a compliment. Yeah, it's like kind of... It's like saying you run like cast a Semenya. Like, thank, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's... Is that an insult? Yeah. Really? Um, but saying you don't like fighting to someone who does like fighting, who is yeah. good at fighting, like, you know, that's... That's an insult, mm. and that's why it could. It was one of the three words that, if you said to someone, they could answer with challenging you to Hongyang, mm. which was a one-on-one duel, okay. or they could just straight up kill you straight away to prove that they are a fighter. They and they would not be charged for murder because oh. you called them that and they proved you wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so being right is better than is like above being above the law so yeah well and that, if that's the one word that's one of the three words where if you're called it your response of killing them is proving your because if you if you didn't kill them and if you didn't challenge them to Hong Gang you would be what's the term? Hong Gang Hong <laughs> I can't say it I'm not going to try <laughs> um, H-O-L-M-G-A-N-G oh yeah um, if you didn't do that then you were basically saying Yes, I am a fighter who isn't very good at fighting. I, I'm, I'm lying about being a fighter, and yep. so you'd be ostracized from society for it. Yeah. So to maintain your place in society, you'd have to kill the person who said you're like this, or you'd have to fight, but sort of not not necessarily kill them, but beat them, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, and it's, a, it's, it's a just this interesting thing of how that got co-opted into you're not manly, it's what it meant, but it didn't. Mm. It just meant sort of you're a coward. You're you're not good at fighting, mm. and all that. You're useless in the raids. <laughs> mm. So yeah. Yeah. So did we want to talk a little bit more about Loki, or is that everything? I think honestly that like the the rest of the stuff about him is very much 
this one source says it, but this one says it's not kind yeah. of thing, which occurs a lot in Osborne. You have Iceland, which is very far away from the rest of it. You've got the Isles um, around Britain, which are, again, very far away from Denmark and Norway and Sweden. And then Norway and Sweden themselves are very separated by the mountains. Um, you've got the Baltic states, again, fairly separate. So as cultures at the time, they were developing their own different stories and different versions, and some were Christianized before others, so their versions are more anti-homosexual than others, and yeah. it's, mm-hmm. yeah. That's okay. All right, so we might move on to um, continuing on with uh, Nordic myth, um, Sinfjotli and Gudmundia. Yes, so um, Sinfjotli was a Volsung. Um, he was the son of um, Sigmund, I want to say. Um, I believe, or he was the father of Sigmund. One of the two. <laughs> One of the two. It's impossible and to know. <laughs> I, well, I've, I've got the book, but I'm not sure where in the book to look yeah. for it. Um, but the thing is, whoever the father was had sex with his sister, and the child was made, and that was the child, and then the father raised and trained the child, and they found wolf skins and put them on and became werewolves. Mm-hmm. Um, and kill a lot of people, almost killed each other one time, mm-hmm. um, but it was that kind of thing. And then in the Gudmunda saga, which is about a Christian priest, um, Sinfjotli, who, if he ever existed, existed hundreds of years earlier, it's, he clearly didn't actually exist at the same time as Gudmunda, um, said, boasted of winning Gudmunda's affection when all the other, all the NHE vie for it wanted to be with Gudmunda, but no, it was Sinfjotli who got it. He was amazing like that. Um, and he impregnated Gudmunda with puppies. And the thing is... Fair enough, as yeah, you do. Well, he's a werewolf, what you expect. Yep, yep. Um, the best part about it, though, is that it's entirely possible the saga was uh, first like developed while Gudmunda was still alive, mm-hmm. potentially even partially by Gudmunda. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of thing was to try and ingratiate himself to the pagans, kind of thing. Like, oh yes, I've, I, I am wanted by your myth people. You know, these these mythological figures you hold in high regard. Yeah. They want to be with me, kind of thing. Is what he could have been saying, something like that. And him, him inserting himself into mythology like that could have been something he did, or it could have been written just. Um, it's also theorized that it was written just after his death, sort of glorifying him. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it was written down, it was still a fair while after he died and after it was first spoken and passed down in the old tradition. Um, but the thing is, either way, it is either a gay werewolf fanfic that was written about him <laughs> or a self-insert gay werewolf fanfic from about 800, 900 years ago. You know what? We've all been there. Like, what we write on AO3. Us and gone. <laughs> Sorry. It's but it's this thing of like where we sort of you know put it down, but like no, it's existed for hundreds of years. Yeah. This this I'm not gonna say queer tradition, but <laughs> yeah. it's it's kind of part of queer culture is yeah. writing yourself in so fanfics with your yeah, favorite Yeah, absolutely. Well. Yeah, absolutely. Um. <laughs> and this is a part of straight tradition as yeah. well. I would say there's yeah. a lot of um. A lot of like monster fantasy yeah. novels out there written by straight women. But then there's the thing of um, in Sinfjotli's story as well, in the when there were first werewolves, there's 
in the training there's also the sort of um, subtle hints of potential pedestrian between the father and son um, which is where a man introduces a boy to the world through sexual mm. interactions of various kinds yeah so there's that there but the issue with that entire that's the only part of the Volsung saga I feel where the writers were high while they were writing it because you get incest, werewolves, and a father and son having sex together where the rest of it was literally just a guy kind of pulling a sword out of a tree and leading a great battle or a guy hunting down a dragon and killing it like you know, yeah. sort of normal, more, more normal uh, yeah, yeah. myth stuff but then there's just this one section where just everything yeah. goes off the rails So they were picked. You know. Yeah, well the thing is that, what's interesting about that is the um, the whole thing of being a werewolf was what berserkers were. Mm. They were challenged, same thing, they even wore bear skins, which is what oh, berserker skins, means, yeah, yeah bear shirt, um, oh. bear circle, um, and so they're the bear shirters, as in the yeah. people who wear the bear shirts, they... And what they do is they get high on mush. They literally get high on mushrooms before battle, so they, <laughs> so they would literally just be in sort of a rage kind of thing. But they'd also be a lot more resistant to pain. Yeah. Because of it. Um. But they'd wear the skins of animals and stuff, like Sinfioli and his who are father or son, depending on which way it is. I can't remember. I can never remember. It's really annoying. But um, like they did, and they lost their minds when they were werewolves, kind of thing. Mm. Um. And it's. Uh, an it's interesting a representation. I'm not gonna say it's a good representation, yeah, but an interesting representation in media of the berserkers is yeah. I think season four or five of Teen Wolf. They have berserkers in there, which mm. are um, warriors of one of the the shapeshifters in there, and um, it, yeah. it's an interesting look. It's not necessarily a good representation <laughs> yeah. because it is Teen Wolf, but you know what? I love that show. I'm. Mm. I'm just going to say it. It's great. I really enjoyed it. And so if you want to have a look at, um, like, an interpretation of Berserkers, have a look at uh, one of the latest seasons of Teen Wolf well, yeah. with Kate Argent. Yeah. I mean, if they are straight up transforming into animals, it's a better representation than most yeah. of Berserkers because just the fact that they, like, sort of put a shirtless guy with an axe charging into battle screaming, it's like, but they they wore paint and they wore actual bear skins yeah. and stuff and they were very, very well-trained fighters mm. and stuff and they generally actually fought with a shield they yep. didn't just go all in they didn't like let themselves get cut but they were fine when it happened kind yeah. of thing well these ones in teen wolf they um they're not shapeshifters and they're not mm. werewolves but they are just basically men wearing animal bones and skins yeah and which is being how really like, were. yeah and really it was young. the origin of werewolves effect apparently mm. according to Norse, in, in the norse tradition yeah. the origin of werewolves was putting on animal clothes yeah Really so cool. yeah. Do we want to talk about more about Anderson Fiotley and Goodman Deer? They're honestly, apart from that sort of short passage about them. Yep. Um, and and the the interesting part of that, rep that representation is that it was about a Christian priest, written potentially by Christians, most probably by Christians, and then codified by a Christian. Mm -hmm. But it still has the thing of it's a boast to win a man and it's a thing of the the greatest warriors in history still want to be with a man and you wouldn't exactly see it as shameful if they're boasting about it and it's the you know you're associating with the greatest people who's ever, who've ever lived you, that's like you know affected according in the culture 
effectively be blasphemy to say these people aren't wonderful warriors mm. they're, they're effeminate mm. but they're not they're manly mm. despite still having this inner Christian setting was I think just a very interesting thing about that representation mm. yeah that's true I'm not really sure how like like it doesn't make sense to me that people the whole bottom shaming thing was like <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. you're feminine and because you mm. take in the relationship or whatever it's like yeah. so <laughs> like that has existed all throughout mm. like western culture yeah it's, for, like, it's thousands weird. It's of like, years. I, I can just imagine power bottoms going yeah but you <laughs> yeah. see i could probably take you in a fight yeah. <laughs> which i think would have happened then it might have been the case of someone once called someone Arga for being a bottom and then like well stab them in the throat let's do this <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know but yeah it's, it's a fun fun culture to look at and to like how it represents that mm. and the polyamory that existed in it as well mm. um in this culture with the whole sort of everyone would have multiple spouses yeah not just the men not just yeah. the women everyone would have multiple spouses and then also engage in relationships with their spouses other spouses it would be it would okay. be yeah. like a thing to do that not yeah. that's what the liberals want mm. relationships with their spouses spouses yeah that's it's just liberal propaganda all right <laughs> 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 where should we go from here um can you just uh, clarify for me, Inanna and Ishtar, are they the same person? They're with the same, names the same yeah, person? they're the same person with different names. Okay. Um, so one is Sumerian and one is Akkadian, mm -hmm. I want to say, um, or Babylonian. It's basically uh, Mesopotamia. Um, one culture has Inanna as the Inanna, name for the yeah. god, goddess, one has Ishtar, and that's just how it is. Yep. Um, it's like there's Zeus and Jove or Jupiter. Oh, okay. Yeah. The same person, different names from effectively the same tradition, just ones slightly developed differently. Mm -hmm. um, but she was um, she was a goddess of fertility, and when her husband died, he went to the underworld like everyone does, mm -hmm. and she was very upset. Um, she tried to rebound with Gilgamesh, mm -hmm. but Gilgamesh was. Uh, on his quest for eternal life with his uh, totally not gay friend Enkidu. <laughs> his roommate. <laughs> his roommate in big air quotes. <laughs> and he was like, no thank you. And I'm guessing not just because he was a little bit focused on the eternal life, but also because he was with Enkidu and he was like, I don't need another relationship. This guy's great. Have you ever been with a satyr? <laughs> like but, um, so she, her second thing was she resolved to go to the underworld and get her husband back. Yeah. Um, she went, she went in, um, she told her, I want to say retainer or something, it's effectively a retainer, like her... Her ward or... Her ward, yeah. her favourite handmaid kind yeah. of thing. Um, if I don't come out, or if you see me get trapped in there, go tell a bunch of gods and see if they can help. Yeah. Um... And she entered into the seven gates of hell, and at each gate she had to take off an item of clothing as payment for passage until she was effectively completely naked mm -hmm. inside. Um, and then she met um, Ertegal, the Queen of the Dead, who uh, cast, I think it was 60 diseases upon her. Um, and she was incapacitated by it. Um, and basically Ertegal was like, no, you can't have your husband back. That's not how being dead works. 
<laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair. Um, but then, of course, um, Ishtar was trapped, and then nothing fertile was happening on Earth because the goddess of fertility wasn't there to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then her handmaid went to a different gods, and the first two, I want to say, were like, we would, we can't, we have no help. And then she went to the god of wisdom, who, um, depending on the version, whether it's the one with the Nara or the Ishtar, he either took dirt from under his nails and formed two um, intersex, non-binary people mm-hmm. um, to go and rescue Ishtar, or he... Um, formed out of clay a single intersectional binary person. Um, I'm going to go with the single one because it's easier to say one name and tell you a story, but um, that was Asa Shunami. Mm-hmm. Also, when I say there's multiple versions, the version I tell is the one I know. Yeah. Just just for listeners, yeah. Yeah, This is, yeah. This is the version I know. Um, there are multiple versions of all these myths. Um, so I will mention occasionally this is a potential difference mm-hmm. in it, but... Um, don't take my word as if this is exactly what it is. Yep. Um, but yeah, so Asashinamiya um, goes into hell, goes into the underworld. Um, doesn't have to pay to get in for some reason. But I think the reason is that he, they go to the gates and they call to the gatekeeper and they're like, let me in. The gatekeeper's like, you'll have to pay. Um, and then they're like, no, go to your queen. And she'll let me in. And Eritrea comes out and is like, that is one fine person. <laughs> let them in. Oh, yeah. I want to get a Honey, closer just look. come on in. And then um, Ashishinamiya flirts a lot yep. with Eritrea um, gets the water of life off of her, um, and sprinkles a little bit on Ishtar, who now, very angry and no longer suffering from 60 diseases, gets up, kicks the absolute shit out of Eshkigal for what she did, runs, collects all her things as she's running out the gates with Asashinamiya and they escape the underworld. But um, Eshkigal curses Asashinamiya to forever be shunned by society Mm -hmm. and people like them to forever be shunned by society. Um, And Ishtar as a reward and as kind of like a, I'm sorry, this is, you know, you know, you've got this problem of, you know, people are going to be mean to you have the power of foresight and telepathy. So, you know, if you're non-binary, people may not like you, like society might not like you, but at but the same you'll time, be a prophet. you're psychic. So it's it's a fun thing we have. It's a little... <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. But yeah, and that's Ashishinami being the first ever non-binary and intersex person ever made. That's cool, yeah. Made by a god of wisdom yeah. who was like, I'm not fully sure what Eric Pigal likes, but if I make them completely androgynous, this might work. <laughs> <laughs> well, it did. Mm. Yeah. That's excellent. Uh, yeah, Asashinamiya is canonically asexual. The thing is, they while they do flirt with Eric Pigal, they don't ever actually experience attraction to any person ever. And they're canonically an asexual and non-binary and intersex character made that way so that they could basically, just in case they accidentally fell in love with Eric Kagal, <laughs> um, they, they were made that way to achieve the mission as best as possible, but are a surprisingly queer character, mm. um, especially from a region that has a lot of um, historically 
comes out of a lot of anti-queer um, yeah. culture in some cases. Yeah. Um, all throughout Mesopotamia in the ancient era, there was lots of that, but astronomy being, you know, this one shining example of a very, very queer character um, doing, being the hero and being cursed to be shunned, like it wasn't how it was meant to be, they were just cursed. Mm. And I, I just really enjoy that. <laughs> um, so, just so you know that not all intersex, non-binary, no, asexual people are cursed, just this one in particular. Just this one, well, according to mythology, all non-binary people are cursed, oh. but are cursed to be shunned, but also psychic. Oh, there you go, so it's, it evens out. It's, yeah, it's a thing of like, you know, and I, I don't know, maybe I'm not cursed to be shunned by society, but every now and then I'm like, how did I know that? <laughs> <laughs> so, who knows? <laughs> Just a little bit psychic. Yeah. Yeah, and of course in the same mythology that's the Gilgamesh Enkidu. Do you want to explain that a bit? Basically, um, they fight at first. It's it's the I'm really gonna hate myself for saying this, but the epic, epic of Gilgamesh starts with the usual teen drama of they hate each other and they fight, but then they get together and go on a great quest together, kind of thing. But they do. It's it's heavily heavily implied that they are in a relationship as they're going along. And when Enkidu dies, spoiler alert, Enkidu dies, um, and Gilgamesh again has to face mortality. Um, He's very, very, like, it's, it's what stops him from going, like, like, we're all going to die, and also I want to die and be with Enkidu again. Aww. <laughs> Aww. Like, I'm, I'm okay with dying if it means I get to be with my, with my uh, boyfriend, and I get to see my wife again, and I get to see my parents again. I'll be okay with dying if I get to go and see people, and it's not a bad thing to die. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a very sad, but... Sort of it's heartwarming, sweet, nice. sweet, yeah. sweet tale of the two of them yeah. together. Yeah. Okay, so let's have a look at maybe Hyacinthus next. Oh, oh boy. This is your fave? <laughs> it's, it's one of my favorites because it's simultaneously the one case where Apollo actually gets to be with someone and he gets a really nice thing, but it's also like, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Just immediately like. Uh. <laughs> so, backstory on Apollo's love life. Um, at this point in his story, one person had turned themselves into a tree to not be with him, one person had thrown themselves off a cliff, <laughs> and someone else had just straight up said, no, now get out of my house or I will have you killed. <laughs> and he, he never did anything like, yeah, and he's, like, he's meant to be like this really good looking, really sweet, amazing musician kind of thing, but like, no one likes him. <laughs> And then, and then, so sad. And then there's Hyacinthus, who is this beautiful, beautiful man. Yeah. Everyone wants to be with him. And he wants to be with Apollo. And he wants, like Apollo goes up to him, and there's like, I'm pretty sure there's a point in one of the retellings where Apollo is honestly confused when Hyacinthus wants to be with him, and they have this really nice relationship, and everything's really wholesome. But then, the Zephyrus, the um, wind of the east, I want to say also wants to be with Hyacinthus, but isn't dealing with it in the most healthy manner. Mm. Um, the West Wind, I think. Oh, the yeah. West Wind. Okay. I knew it was one of the, I'm going to say horizontal directions. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was one of those one ones, ones. But yeah. Um, and so there's some, some tellings are 
Apollo is showing Hyacinthus how to throw a discus, and he throws it, and Hyacinthus runs after it and gets hit in the head and dies, mm. or is dying. Mm. Um, and in some of them, Apollo throws it, and Zephyrus takes the position of, if I can't be with him, no one can, mm. and uses his powers as the wind to push the discus back and um, kill Hyacinthus. And Apollo's there, and as he cries for his dying lover, he turns him into a hyacinth flower, and that's yeah. where hyacinths come from, and he yeah. writes a massive poem for him, um, and then goes and drowns his sorrows with Hermes. <laughs> Which I, I like to think there's a bar in Olympus where Dionysus is the bartender. Um, <laughs> the god of wine. God of wine. He doesn't do anything but mix the drinks. Like he doesn't. He's not the sort of bartender who's like, oh, what's alien? He's just like, what do you want? Take this. And Hermes is the one who sits there listening to your troubles. And half the time it's Apollo just crying over someone dying. <laughs> <laughs> Apollo, buddy, you might want to get yourself checked out if all your lovers are dying. Yeah. Greek mythology is just full of gay people. <laughs> sad gays. Well, Apollo's the sad gay. Um, there's a few very, very not sad gays. Yeah. Um, there's the case of Heracles, who... Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if he had a husband, but he definitely had a lot of male lovers. Mm-hmm. Um, and in one case, it was a point that Heracles, being the god of manhood and masculinity, had to be with this guy because it was unmanly to not be in a relationship with another man. Yeah. Is how it was represented and stuff. And that's why he had so many. Because the thing that was manly was to be prolific. And so yeah. he had a lot of wives and he had a lot of boyfriends yeah. and... You know, he did everything with everyone. So if you heard it here, folks, it's unmanly to not sleep with men. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's just the thing of Heracles being that. And then the other case that's very prominent, a lot of people know, is Achilles and Patroclus. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's references to it. There's a reference in the Spring Awakening musical where um, Hunchen and Ernst, after class, Hunchen goes to Ernst and says, we should study together, Ernst. And it's like, oh, okay. He's like... We could get a start on something like Achilles and Patroclus. That's <laughs> just like, oh, oh. <laughs> it's okay. It's that kind of party. <laughs> um, I did that's... read. I can't remember this. I think this book was pretty famous within fandom, but um, it was like about Achilles and Patroclus, and I can't remember what it was called or who it was by. Mary, someone. Or... Mm. Do you remember? Do you know that one? I... Um, it was it came out a couple of years ago. It was. And it was just about them I growing up th- together. I think I might know the person potentially. Um, again, I'm someone completely different, but yeah. there's a very famous historian who's an ancient historian in the UK who's a sort of TV historian and yep. she does books and everything. Mm-hmm. And it's set, she's called me, I can't remember what her last name is. Um, but she does that kind of. Um, was it Mary Beard? No, I do know who you're talking about, but I'm thinking of somebody else. Yeah, so it's uh, sorry. It sounded like something that she would write um, in her in her work. She did that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Achilles and Patroclus. The Song of Achilles. Uh, I think that's the one. Right. Yeah. Um, read it if you want something to read. It's, yeah, I enjoyed it. It's like not the best thing ever written, but Madeline mm, Miller. That's right. what I was thinking of. Um, I think I've heard of her. Yeah, yeah, and but it was it's just like an easy read. You know, it's just mm. a yeah, nice. That's as nice as it can be when they, they die and mm. it's really well, sad. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. Um, so the Iliad, which 
mm. the main thing of these two is um, at the start of it, it the first word in it is rage and the point of it is Achilles anger and Achilles rage mm. um, in the Trojan War and everything he does is out of anger and spite mm. and, um, so it starts off Achilles favourite girlfriend gets uh, taken as a concubine by the king so he's like, well, I'm not going to fight for you then. Mm. And goes and hides in his tent with Patroclus for like three months. <laughs> and then Patroclus is like, I wonder how they're doing. I'm going to go check on that. And goes out and checks. Um, they're like, we really need Achilles out here. And he's like, I can't get you Achilles, but if you want, I can fight. I'll have like, a train of Achilles. I'm a decent fighter. And he goes out and he dresses in Achilles' armor. And the Trojans think it's Achilles. And Achilles is known as the greatest of the Achaeans. You know, yeah. um, hero slayer, like god-born Achilles the Great. Um, it, he's in like in the title The Immortal kind of thing. He's that well-known as a fighter. And there's, there's a theory that the whole thing of he was given invulnerability um, except on his heel kind of thing is something that's been co-opted after the fact. It's because like in the original there's never anything about that about him. It's just that he's such a good fighter he might as well be mm -hmm. invulnerable. And so Achilles apparently comes out to the Trojan Sea, so Hector faces down with Achilles and kills Patroclus. Mm. And so, and then Achilles is like, he's been gone a while, I wonder what's happening, and asks someone, and they're like, no, no, he's, he was killed by Hector. And Achilles is like, well, that's that. And, and Hector takes Achilles' armour and wears it as a trophy and stuff. And so Achilles just goes out, no armour on, nothing and just absolutely ruins the entire Trojan army for he wins the war on his own, faces down with Hector, murders Hector, like, takes the, takes the armour, puts it on, um, takes Hector's cloak, puts it on, takes Hector's spear kind of thing, and then ties Hector to his chariot and parades him around Troy over and over. Um, and yep. he's like, this is what happens when you kill my boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's kind of, I think in terms of Greek mythology, it's the go-to, they had gay relationships example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is these two where it was such a horrific thing for one of them to lose the other that he effectively wiped out an entire army yeah. as revenge. Yeah. Well, I mean, those are the kinds of things you could do when you're an all-powerful, <laughs> yeah. like, killing machine. Yeah. The best soldier that's ever lived. Mm. That's, yeah. And the thing is, Achilles is by no means any less of the greatest soldier ever for being gay is something. And it's really, really funny looking at like Renaissance references and stuff um, to Greek and Roman history and mythology, but they try to like weed out like the gay. <laughs> it's just like, guys, stop, you're embarrassing yourself. You can't really do that <laughs> in Greek mythology. No, you can't. You or can't, history. You can't get. Yeah, there's just so. Well, the thing is, Emperor Nero once took a or when he did a tour of Greece felt like races approval ratings basically he took with him a leashed gagged eunuch just to have sex with because okay it's like he was into some weird stuff but so again he, yeah, yeah, he based, but like it was a thing of this emperor took a man with him to have sex when yeah. he toured Greece to erase his approval ratings. Okay, that's fucked up. <laughs> it's like, that's a bit too. I mean, Nero has so much weird stuff. There's the mommy issues. There's. I don't know who Nero is. He, oh, oh, just. If you want to maintain any semblance of innocence in your life, 
don't look up Nero I will, any I will he, the, I the most innocent thing about him is that he'd hold um, he'd hold recitals that he'd be like performing songs and stuff and he was so bad that he was emperor so you couldn't leave that wasn't okay so people would fake their own death in the performance <laughs> to get out of it they would just be like a fake heart attack and be carried out and like oh thank you for getting me out of that one that's how insane Nero was as like a person I don't think that's even happened in like university lectures that's how but yeah Nero, Nero had gay gay trysts like every emperor had gay trysts that's what they did that's awesome. Mm. All right, let's go. So we've done Hyacinthus, Loki, Heracles. Uh, we done Heracles. Yeah, Heracles yeah. is all all is gay is gay boys. Thing. Yeah, it's gay boys. Um, Ashushinamia and Amaterasu. Amaterasu, yes. So, Queen of Heaven, the sun herself. Um, what um, mythology is this part of? What from mythology? Japan, from Shinto mythology. Um, she is the grandmother of Jimu, his epithet is the Great, he was the first emperor of Japan um, in 660 BC, mm-hmm. his descendants are still on the throne now, it has been an unbroken line as emperor of Japan six, since 660 BC, and they can directly tra- tra- trace their heritage to Amaterasu. Wow, that's um, pretty cool. She, there is also their imperial regalia, so the things that they effectively, the crown jewels, that no one is allowed to see, except the priests in the, in the particular shrine, mm-hmm. and the emperor, when, and only when the emperor is crowned. And so it recently would be the, it literally, um, the start of last month, would be the first time in decades that anyone new has seen the regalia, because it was the new emperor being crowned. The sword is was given to Amaterasu by her brother. The Magatama, which is a small jewel, was given was Amaterasu is given to her by her father, and it's um, sort of whoever holds it, it, it is like an heirloom, and all the previous owners, their wisdom is conferred upon the owner, the current owner, mm-hmm. kind of thing. So they have the wisdom of two gods behind them. Mm-hmm. With that, um, according to and the shield is very important to the myth where Amaterasu's homosexuality is very explicit. So, Amaterasu and her brother had a competition one time to see who could make the best, the most gods and stuff. Um, and there was basically Amaterasu technically made less people, but technically made more gods. And also, she's the queen of heaven, so she could just say, No, I won't. Her brother didn't take that very nicely because he made five and she made three people. Um, and so he got angry and started fighting, and it culminated in him throwing a flayed horse through her weaving house window. Um, and the shock of it killed one of her, um, it says like handmaidens kind of things, it's that, you know, generic, mm. her maidservant or whatever, um, lady-in-waiting even kind of thing is a similar position, but um, it's very heavily implied that she and Amaterasu were in a relationship together, and this maid died from shock. Mm. Seeing a flayed horse fly through the window. Of course, Amatrasu ban- banished Susanna, who was her brother, and um, and also I'm probably butchering pronunciation so much on a lot of this. Yeah. Stuff. Um, sorry to anyone out there who. No, that's knows fine. How. I like I was referring yeah. to you. I don't know how to yeah. pronounce most um, of these names. She ran into a cave and hid 
from the world because mm-hmm. she was so upset that yeah. her girlfriend died, basically. Um, again, in different mythography, like in the mythography, in some cases they were very much in a relationship, in other cases they were just friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but she hides in the cave, of course, she's the sun, so the world goes dark, the, there's no crops, no crops can grow, it's barren, nothing good is happening. Monsters creep into the world, um, so the gods need to get her out of the cave. They first try different animals, um, like making noise and stuff, but she doesn't come out. Um, come out is a very <laughs> interesting thing here. Um, but what happened was, to get her out, they had a, a rooster call, um, which is where the rooster calling and the sun rising thing comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had a massive party. They also had a, a mirror placed in front of the cave, which is the shield that exists as one of the Imperial Regalia. Mm-hmm. Um, and those still are around. This, it's like, I'm just, as a, as a like, partial history nerd, mm-hmm. amazed that there are these things that existed before Alexander the Great was born. Yeah. That are still in use as royal artifacts, yeah. according, and that apparently have actual physical connections to gods. Yeah. Um, what the sword is apparently meant to be able to control the wind when you swing it. It's that. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, but so this mirror was placed outside. The mirror was forged and placed by a trans god, mm-hmm. um, canonically trans god. Um, What's their name? I can't remember fully okay. because, um, yeah, it's sometimes they're not even really mentioned. It's just the gods placed the mirror outside. Yeah. Um, and the gods are having a party, and um, Azume, the goddess of dancing, basically the goddess of strippers, um, nice. started stripping. Yep. And everyone was cheering because she's the most beautiful goddess kind of thing. Um, almost the most beautiful goddess. And Amaterasu calls from the cave, why are you all making so much noise and cheering? And they're like, well, we found a more beautiful goddess than you. And she's like, who is this person? She comes outside, she sees herself in the mirror, and it's like, is that the goddess? <laughs> and then she looks up to the table that Azume is dancing on and sees a naked woman and is like, Damn, Damn. I'm staying out here. Nice <laughs> <laughs> out here. Uh, is the transgender god Ishikore? Ishikore? That sounds familiar. Again, it's in, in most of the versions I've seen, the god isn't even named kind of thing. Okay. It's like... Um, because the notes I found were, it just says a transgender god, Ishikore, holds up a mirror and yes, while Amaterasu reminds her of which of the, others, the other gods shot the cape behind her. Mm. And so, yeah, Amaterasu just comes out um, and I guess rules heaven, mm. fully okay with being able to look at Azume whenever she wants. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and then there's also in Japanese mythology a gay couple, mm-hmm. I believe, that... Um, Amaterasu is friends with them, she protects them, she's like, I don't know, the mother lesbian, <laughs> the two gay kids. <laughs> um, she's the lesbian aunt to them, basically. Um, and then one of them dies, and the other one is so upset by it, and so distraught that he actually... Oh, she do no Hafuri and Amu, Ama no Hafuri. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Sounds familiar, yes. And then I don't one of them pronounce them properly, but one of them, uh, the other one who's didn't die, um, kills himself because of losing his love. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. But it's just, it's one of those things of like, being gay existed in the mythology a lot. Yeah. Um, and that kind of thing. And there were trans, that I, I believe there were a couple of different trans gods that yeah. existed. I believe even Kaze and a couple who was, Kami no Kaze, who was the god of the wind, spirit of the wind, which is where the word Kamikaze comes yeah. from. Um, because they were the spirits of wind kind of thing. That's what, that's what they were used for. It's really horrible, horrible thing that was co-opted into. But like, yeah, um, yeah they, Kami no Kaze was the god of the wind and um, he was, I believe he was sometimes represented as a trans or gender fluid god um, within the mythology. So yeah, there's a lot, and there's, there's a lot in a lot of different mythologies out yeah. there that like we haven't. We yeah, this is just scratching the surface. surface. There's yeah. so much in different places. Um, I believe, I believe Tengri, and I may be wrong here, but the way I've always read anything about Tengri is that it's they're not a he, they're a them, they're not a sexed god. They yeah. are. Um, the asexual god of goodness. Okay. Is that in Japanese? Uh, no, that's in the Tengri, uh, Tengrik, um, Turkic mythology. Oh, Tengri yeah. is god of heaven. Um, yeah. And Urkelhan is god of hell. They're the good and evil of Hans. Um, Urkelhan, Han meaning actually just basically lord of hell, so his name was just Urkel. Um, he had like nine sons, each of them with Han as a name, but the thing is, um, there is, there was a massive dinosaur fossil uncovered that they called Achillosaurus because they discovered it in Kazakhstan. So they're like, this is the god of hell. We are calling this basically Satan. <laughs> and that's just that's just like my, my personal thing of like nice work. <laughs> so yeah. Alright, well I think it's been about an hour. So that was a really good yeah. effort. Yeah, is there anything so else is there anything else you want us to just add? Um oh wait, I just remembered something from the Germanic Teutonic Tradition, Beowulf is sometimes gay. Mm, there you go. Yeah, Beowulf occasionally, um, depending on the telling, had um, a gay partner. Yeah. Um, occasionally, um, he still was, you know, man to man, like yeah. you know, ripped still a like... giant's arm off with, with his yeah. bare hands. He literally. The, the thing that I love most about him is that the reason he fought Grendel unarmed was not because he'd been woken up in the middle of the night with a massive hangover and he couldn't find his weapons. It's because he he didn't even wake up. He literally waited up for Grendel and was like, I'm not going to arm myself or I'm not going to wear armour because I want it to be a fair fight for Grendel. <laughs> <laughs> like, if I have weapons, that's just not fair on him. <laughs> it's like, this, this is a giant. To have that kind of confidence. Yeah. Well, I mean, earlier earlier in the party, someone was like, are you sure you can fight him? I heard you lost a swimming race to this guy. And he's like, yes, I did lose a swimming race to him across the Baltic Sea. <laughs> but that's because I fought and killed nine sea monsters along the way. It's <laughs> like, okay, yeah, that's a fair point. <laughs> But yeah, he was, you know, this manly superhero, like the yeah. ultimate epic hero who does nothing but fight and drink and yeah. just kill monsters. And he had a gay friend. That's he had beautiful. Gay yeah. yeah, that's beautiful. That's and of course, it's mythology. If you want to write characters to be gay or queer in any way, go for it. It's mm. mythology is a uh, living, mm. a living story that is constantly being changed and added to by each of the people who tells it. Um, the reason a lot of mythology was, was like this is also because the codification of them didn't really happen. It was 
very much oral traditions and the stories that were told around campfires and around hearts in houses and everything. Um, and so each speaker would put a spin, put their own spin on it, add their own thing to it. When they were reciting it to a new person, um, that person would similarly re remember everything that the, their mentor had taught them. And then as they grew older and they told the story more and more, would know and learn where to change it and where not, and putting their own things in your character. So if you want to co-opt mythology into different things, I mean, be sensitive. It is a mythology, it is a culture, but also there's nothing wrong with reading between the lines and making that explicit in mythology. It's, it's just a wonderful thing about it, I feel. It's that unlike other stories where people say, well, that's not canon, you, yeah. You can say no. My fanfic is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It's just, just a wonderful, wonderful thing that yeah. everyone who tells the mythology is the author. There's no one author of mythologies. Yeah. And that's how, um, and that sort of tradition is why early writing and early literary theory um, with author-focused things was the quality of a story was how well the author told it mm -hmm. and their skill at telling the story that others had told and whether their version measured up mm -hmm. and was better or worse or, you know, not just in how they wrote it and how they described things but how things actually were in the story. Did they make a more interesting story? Did they maybe, maybe they made Loki, uh, maybe they told it from the perspective of Loki mm. because why not tell it from the perspective of a person who is good and sees their evil brother killing everyone and then they marry this person who says that's wrong and clearly your brother is an evil person why should you do anything to help him? Mm -hmm. Shouldn't you work against him? Mm -hmm. And Loki goes against Odin. Mm -hmm. There you go. It's, it's that kind of telling and retelling that, makes, that I love about mythology. Well, thank you for sharing it with us today. It's a really interesting episode. So I hope everyone gets inspired by this and goes out and finds their own mythology that they're interested in. So if you if you want books that do work um, for just learning mythology and the individual tales that you know, I'm told here, um, Neil Gaiman recently mm -hmm. came out with Norse mythology where he retells the edits in his own way, yep. in his words. Um, and there was a he was on conversations with Richard Feidler um, talking about it, and he said that he was unsure of how to tell it because yeah. the editors, the specific, specifically the editors have a very, like all, he didn't want to tell like the old retellings where they were flowery and all over the place mm. with the writing kind of thing, he, but he also didn't want to tell it as just himself, he was telling mythology, he wasn't the only author, there has to be something with the previous stuff and so what he did was he looked at the editors and just noticed that most of their sentences are very short and building blocks, mm. so he, he wrote it like that, there are building blocks and it's, it's a wonderful feeling reading and listening to it um then there's there is a book on queer mythology that i think is just queer representations mm. in mythology mm. um written in the late 90s in its first edition and has been updated a couple of times since then um i'm not sure where you can get it i know i can access it through my uni's library oh yeah um, what's it called think just queer representations in mythology or okay. queer, like some, something like that like um well if i can find the it or like the queer in mythology yeah it's yeah um 
and if you yeah if you want more queer myths from all over the world yeah that's a very good one to go to because it analyzes in depth how it's how the queerness has been yeah. removed by um people who didn't want it to be told kind of thing mm. um yeah i'm trying to think of other books that i mean other than teutonic myth and legend if you can get access to it it's a very nice one that also deals with the mythology not trying to syncretize it to Roman and Greek stuff, which a lot of mythology does. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen ones that relate Odin to Zeus a mm -hmm. lot, and he's not, if anything, he's Thor, Thor is Zeus, and Odin is Mercury, which is why, why our um, days aren't named as they are. Yeah. Because anyone who speaks French would know Thursday is journey in French, which means the day of Jupiter. And Wednesday is Mercury, which means the day of Mercury. But Wednesday is Woden's day, which was the Anglic Odin. And mm. Thursday is Thursday, which is Thor's day. Um, yeah. It's those kinds of... And, but Shining from Legend is very cool with that. And it, uh, it, it shows that the closest mythology is the Irish mythologies. Mm -hmm. Which, again, a very wonderful thing. There's no... As, as someone said to me when I was trying to find... I was trying to get help finding sources on it. There is no Bible did Anon. Um, there is no very, very, very perfect single source on Irish mythology, but there are the four cycles. Um, and looking through them, there's also the four cycles of Mabinogi, which is the Welsh mythologies. Um, they're very fun mythologies to look at, um, that we didn't discuss today, but... Yeah, no, that's fine. Again, um, I'm not sure of actual individual sources of places to go. That's okay. Um, I'm sure but, everyone can do their own research yeah, and have a look um, around. I mean, I just Googled some stuff and had mm, like the, the basics. Yeah, yeah. If you want the, the basics are what you mean when you're writing a story. So if you go too in-depth, you might find one thing that you can then use as the basis, but you wouldn't be able to use the rest of that mm. research. If you want to do about, you know, if you want to tell a story about Odin, do basic... Oh, sorry? <laughs> do basic research about Odin and then just go from there. Mm. Um, so that yeah. kind of thing. Absolutely. Is there anything that you'd like to plug, like some social media or a group that you're a part of or anything like that? Um, not really. Not really? I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to start an um, animation company right now, but that's, oh. that's really hard work. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, well, do you have a website or a No, not even yet. Like, I, I, have, I don't even have technically a company yet because oh. it costs so much money to do that that I need. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm... I'm once that's out, I'm sure I'll be plugging it all over the place to all my friends. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's a that's one where I'm actually also drawing from the the first pro um, project I'm doing in it is um, focused on humans being able to do magic through grimoires, so oh, magic cool. books and yeah, stuff. Yeah. But um, spirits existing. Yeah. But in such a way that there is a spirit for every thing that exists, and the bigger the thing or the bigger the concept, the more powerful the spirit. And the main enemy is the spirit of nature's wrath because humans are going too far. Mm. Well, have been for 3,000 years by the point of yeah. the story, and they just won the last war, but now it's back and things are not going to go well. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Is there, do you have any books out or anything? Uh, no, because I don't. I, I write books and then. <laughs> It's, oh, really easy, it's really easy to self-publish. Like, I've self-published oh, a couple of Oh, no, it's, it's not that. It's just keeping focus long enough yeah. to write. Yeah, to yeah. To finish writing a book. <laughs> um, yeah. That's a... Uh, oh, God. But, yeah. I'm, I'm honestly... I'm just 
got like 50,000 projects going that I'm just, you know. Well, hopefully we can see some of them soon. Hopefully. So if anything comes out, let me know and I'll yeah. plug it on uh, the Instagram or the Twitter or Facebook or anything. Will do. Will yeah. do. Thank you so much for joining me today, Larry. It's really nice being here. Awesome. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, you can find sexuality at Facebook at The Russo Test. The URL is Queer as Media, but the name is The Russo Test, which I can't change for some reason. So I'm stuck with it. Um, you can also find this podcast and everything at uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr at Queer as Media. You can also find me on WordPress, where I review some movies using the Russo test. Um, you can find that at queerismedia.wordpress.com. And you can also subscribe to my Patreon if you're feeling a little bit frisky. Um, for $3 a month, you get some bonuses and you also get um, access to some special content. So look that up if you're interested. And again, thank you for listening. Alrighty, I'll talk to you in the next one. Bye. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.